So, uh, welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I get a chance to sit down with Eric Ingvolstad, who is the CEO and founder of the Acoustic Group here in Singapore. Welcome, Eric. Thanks. Happy to be here. Well, uh, it's, um, it's interesting because uh, you and I both have history as being creative people creative writers and creative directors, but today we're doing very similar things. Uh, uh, I believe the acoustic group, most of the work you're doing is really helping people with the digital transformation and dealing with the digital disruption that's happening in marketing and in the marketplace. That's right. Um, basically, we, we work in, in three areas. Uh, one is digital transformation, which and I hate the word digital transformation, as, as many do, because it doesn't really capture what, what it's all about. But for me, digital transformation is a cultural shift um, and it's an ongoing process. It's not like a moment in time. It's, mm -hmm. it's like if you want to change yourself, you can't just do that on Wednesday. You have to do it on the Thursday and the Friday and the years Saturday. to come, right? And it's the same thing for businesses. They have to make digital changes to the way they operate. That's a cultural issue, not a technology issue. Mm -hmm. So we work with digital transformation from a cultural perspective. How can we make services and products that um, consumers or people out there think solves their daily problems? Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. Um, the second thing we do is work uh, with innovation. Uh, a lot of companies are setting up um, innovation hubs and, and whatnot they call it. Um, and the challenge with that is that uh, people tend to think, well, then innovation is someone else's problem. You know, the R&D department or the innovation mm. lab or whatever, they're the ones who are going to innovate. But innovation has to happen close to the, the customer. Mm. Um, so we work with then again, cultural, uh, to see how can innovation happen in a more efficient way inside a company? How can you identify problems? And I don't talk about internal problems. Um, if, if you ask a client, what's your problem? They'll start talking about their internal problems, not mm -hmm. meeting their, um, getting their ROIs or you know KPIs and all of that. And I'm like, I'm not interested in those problems. I'm interested yeah. in your customers' problems. Yeah. What is your customers' problems and how are you going to solve them? Um, and when we start asking those questions, people are actually much more creative and much more interested in finding solutions. Um, but you have to understand that you have a problem first. Mm, absolutely. In, in corporate, corporate world, I'm sure you've heard this, people say, oh, we don't call it problems, we call them challenges or you know, opportunities or whatever. But I'm like, no. A challenge is something that you can put off until next year. Mm. A problem is something you have to solve today. So that's the first. The last um, part of this uh, this offering is then uh, customer experience. And I'm not talking about that fake customer experience where you do something for a video and then you put it online and then everyone talks about it. That's not customer experience. Customer experience is the real interaction with real customers. It's like, um, take a brand like HSBC, which have these inspiring ads all over the airports, 
But if you walk into the bank and you get treated poorly or they have that, that you know, the, the cashier is not doing a great job or they have a um, uh, internet banking solution that's like circa 1998, um, which it is, then, then you have a problem. And that's the problem you need to solve, mm. not the advertising part, not talking about it. I'll give you two great examples. Well, uh, sorry, sorry. Um, no. before you go on, because yeah. uh, the thing that uh, resonates with me is all three of those are based around people. That's it's true. all about solving people problems. Because the first one, even digital transformation, culture comes from the people within the organization. And it's actually about transforming that culture and the way people think about their role and the, what, what the business means. Um, your second one, innovation. The, the biggest thing that annoys me is that so many organizations are racing outside to get someone else to innovate them rather than knowing that it actually exists within their organization. They've just forgotten how to do it. Uh, and maybe they need a little bit of help to kind of, to kind of recognize the problems and then find solutions to those mm. problems. But they should really have focus on, on solving them internally. Mm. Um, I agree. And then the third one, um, customer experience. Uh, we've seen people that actually almost have like a checklist of you know customer touch points mm. and what the experience will be at each of those. But it's trying to find a recipe to a situation that is actually should be customized. I mean, the best customer experience is the one that's personalized to the needs of the customer. Uh, absolutely, and, and it's, it's interesting because um, that's where branding is moving today. And I, I think that's the most central part of branding today is not advertising, it is customer experience. Um, you, um, Jeff Bezos said once, um, a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room, mm. which I think is, is a perfect way of looking at it. Um, so if people talk about your brand and they go, well, I went into this and this store and they treated me like this and this, and that was a negative experience, then that brand is a negative, you know, mm. a negative value to, to that person or the opposite. Um, and then you have, and I, I'll give two good examples. Well, which that, that, sorry, that concept first hit me with um, when I was working on a newspaper. Hmm. You know, that, uh, I was at uh, J. Walter Thompson and we were um, given the, uh, the account for this newspaper, which was the most popular newspaper in the marketplace. And they were briefing us on like promotions. And, and then one day they said, we want a brand ad. And I said, look, it's really interesting. You're wanting to spend, let's say, a million dollars to make an ad and put it on air to tell people what they already know. Because, uh, you know, the newspaper is part of this society, mm -hmm. you know. And every day when people listen to other media like radio and television, they're even, those journalists will often refer to that newspaper. Your own journalists are talking in all sorts of media outlets. Don't you think that the brand actually exists by the people's perceptions from all of those touch points? And you want to do a tiny little drop in the ocean called advertising to somehow change that. It's like having this tsunami coming at you and getting a bucket of water and trying to throw it against it to make it change direction. Uh, exactly, and this was a realization I had after more than 20 years in, in advertising, that 
we are making incremental changes to something that we could actually make huge impact mm -hmm. on. You know, creativity is an amazing, amazing thing if you, you apply it right and if you apply, apply it at the, uh, the right um, uh, the place and uh, to the right people at the mm -hmm. right time. Um, and that's why um, that's why some brands are. You take a brand like Samsung. They're spending billions and billions of advertising. They've got great products. Don't get me wrong. Um, then you take a brand like Apple. Um, and I don't want to be the typical Apple you know, guy, yeah. a, 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 a Apple lover, but I am. So I might as well own up to it. But they built these stores, hmm. you know, which gives people a great opportunity to come in and have that brand experience. Um, not in a fake way, but in a real way. You get to touch the products, you get to, you get that kind of community feel, you get everything. They've done everything right by having uh, something old-fashioned like like uh, like uh, Main Street uh, retail. Yeah. You know? But they also do such a great job with the staff as well. I mean, the whole experience from the time you walk through the door is part of the Apple brand experience. Exactly. Because the way you're interacted. I remember... Um, going into an Apple store in the US and I purchased something and the guy as soon as he swiped my card he goes oh uh, Darren you know you I've seen he he had everything about me mm. as soon as he could identify me as a person it was all there everything I'd ever purchased through Apple uh, and that, that's an interesting um, um, topic in itself because a lot of people talk about big data and the collection of big data and use of big data. But I say that unless you combine that with that small data, mm -hmm. you know, that personalized data, which goes way back to my direct marketing days, you know, if you know about the customer, use that information in a positive way. Mm. You know, you get a positive experience out of it, it's a better uh, business model for the, for, the, for the company. Well, recognition. I mean, one of the great ways that you can uh, reward a client is, or a customer is not actually giving them discounts, but actually recognizing them as being a loyal customer. Totally. One of the things that people crave is, is the, you know, to be recognized for their contribution or their loyalty or their you know, um, commitment to a particular brand. I, I totally agree. And I, I think uh, discounting is, is, well, in some, you know, some industries, it's, it's like the baseline now. Mm. You know, um, here in Singapore, there's a, there's a huge competition between uh, Uber and Grab. Um, for the for the private hire car mm. market, and <clears throat> and uh, and Grab is now the market leader, but they've done that through heavy discounting. Right. So where is the brand loyalty going to be when those discounts disappear? <coughs> and they run out of funding. Mm. When they run out of all of that, what's the difference between the two services? Mm. That's what they have to ask themselves. And I think that's not discounts. Well, and any time that you're buying loyalty, someone else can buy it off you. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So interestingly, because um, when I uh, went and had a look at your uh, LinkedIn profile, you are now working in an area of culture, you know, cultural change and helping people align. Uh, and yet your career started in the military, which well, is interesting. That's true. I mean, well, you're training. You know, you trained as uh, in the in the uh, military in Norway, which uh, I believe is compulsory. Yeah. But then you went on and did officer training as well, which is really about leadership training, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And I, I think a 
it's a leadership training, uh, which is important. You learn how to interact with people and you learn how to, to lead people in very um, stressful situations. Um, and I, I think you learn something from that because you understand that you can't just bark at people, you have to actually work with people, you have to make them perform at their best, mm-hmm. um, and, and you learn that. The other thing I, I think uh, I learned there, and I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid as well, right. you know, you, that focus on fixing problems, you know, I think that stuck with me. That idea that, oh, something happened, you know, we can't get through here, there's a, there's a lake, what do we do, mm-hmm. you know? That kind of attitude to, to, to life, I think is is you look at a problem, you assess the problem, you go, okay, there's got to be a solution to this. Then you figure out what the solution mm-hmm. is, and you use the team to do that. And that's where where problem solving and innovation uh, or creativity is best applied. So, so part of that which you didn't mention is also assessing the resources you have at right. hand, and then how to make a decision as a leader around the best approach, which unsurprisingly or not is called strategy right and a lot of people get really bent out of shape about this idea of strategy because it's been turned into this almost rocket science of thinking Mm -hmm. but in actual fact strategy in its purest form is uh, uh, clearly defining the objective what you're trying to achieve Mm -hmm. assessing the resources available money time people whatever you know technology whatever Mm -hmm. and then uh, exploring all of the things that you could do, but then making the decision and eliminating all of the other things on what's the best use of your time and resources and, and will give you maximum opportunity. Uh, and that's strategy. Absolutely. Um, so think, really it trained you to be a strategist, not well, just a problem solver. Well, it did. And I, I think being a copywriter as well, I think I had to always think strategically. I always had to think about what's the next step, what happens after this. It wasn't just about that idea. It had to be about how does that idea um, kind of flow when, when we go further down and the brand becomes bigger or we have other challenges or problems with the with the, with the customers how do we deal with that mm-hmm. and I think what's changed really the last five to ten years uh, in, in strategy is that a business strategy used to be like a five-year plan mm-hmm. right you stuck to that five-year plan because that's that's your strategy um, in today's society that's not possible you know there are so many changes around us technology changes cultural changes all of these things happening all the time so you have to have strategy that allows for that. Uh, the strategy has to be set, but it has to understand that what if there's a new competitor? What if there's a new technology? What if people uh, start thinking differently? What if people start eating um, less meat? What if people start driving less cars? What do we do then? Mm. What is our strategy for that? How does BMW and, and, and Toyota and those companies deal with the idea of, um, of co-ownership of, of cars mm. and those kind of things? That's yeah. strategy. <clears throat> which is what it should always have been, which is the objective. No, it wasn't. The objective stays mm. constant, yeah. but the strategy is constantly reviewed right. based on the, the point in time and what's going to you know what is occurring and what could occur right. I mean the whole idea of uh, SWOT analysis was meant to do that unfortunately got turned into tick the boxes exactly. and people stopped actually using it for what it was meant to be which was a great way to review your current strategy against your current circumstances that, that, that's true 
uh, acoustic, we have a, a strategy model that is uh, shaped like an infinity sign uh, to, to kind of show that it's an ongoing process mm. and that you have to kind of look at the consumer, you have to look at the, the culture that's happening, you have to look at the technologies, but most of all, you have to look at your business and, and who you are and who you want to be. Yeah. Uh, and that needs to stay uh, the same. Those values, those are core. Um, are you familiar with Ikigai? I'm, I'm sure you yeah, are. Yeah. yeah, so Ikigai is, um, uh, for those who don't know, uh, uh, Ikigai is like a personal uh, purpose uh, finder. It's a Japanese uh, tool and it's, it's used for, I've used it with my, my kids. You know, I've sat down with them and I, I said, and Ikigai looks at what you're good at, what you love to do, what the world needs and what you can make money from, mm-hmm. right? So from a personal perspective, it's a great way of, of kind of choosing your career. But I we reworked it in a way that works for brands as well to look at what is our purpose and, and that purpose, how do we define that purpose? Mm. And, and by using API <clears throat> to do that, we kind of, uh, we kind of end up uh, finding, uh, finding that type of strategy. That, that so this, this, is, that. this is a finesse on language, mm. but I think it's actually probably a great tool for organizations who mm. want to redefine their brand because in a way, by defining your purpose in this day and age, you are defining your brand. Because the purpose is the thing, you know, people struggle with this concept of purpose. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it, it, it is a bit fluffy, you know? Purpose, what's our purpose? Yeah. You know, it, can, it can sound a bit, uh, but if you do it from with Ikigai, which um, in my experience, you do SWOT analysis in, in a workshop and you, you, you're sitting there, people running out of things to say, and it just really becomes quite contrived. Yeah. But if you run a, um, an Ikigai workshop, you ask people, what is it that you love to do? Mm. It is endless. People are like, yeah, we love, you know, we mm. do this, we do what, this. What brings this, you joy exactly. in the work that you do? Exactly. Mm. And, and what can we get paid for, you know? Yeah. People get very specific of how they can make money. Mm. What does the world need, you know? They go, okay, the world needs better transportation services, or the world needs better, less uh, CO2 emissions, or the world needs this and mm-hmm. this and this. And then they can kind of look at how they can contribute to that. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, so that's an interesting way of, of looking at strategy. Because I think um, a lot of organisations have actually lost sight of why they exist in the first place. You know, one of my favourite quotes is the purpose of any organisation or any business is to create customers mm-hmm. and to maximise the value for both the organisation and the customer in that interaction mm. so in that you know it even builds into that the whole concept of uh, you know well i'm in business to make profit well yeah but that's only half the equation mm. because the way you make profit is to actually enhance or bring value to the customer mm. and that if you see that as the core of why any business should exist there, there's nuances as to what particular way they bring that value equation to it, but uh, then all of the things you're talking about, the role of technology, mm. the in- to innovate mm. your offering and to manage the co- uh, customer experience all comes from that core reason for being, which is to create, customer va- create customers and then create customer value in a way that delivers value for the organization. Well, this is absolutely correct. And, and I think this is an area where you can actually can actually look to the past, you know. Um, I go hundreds of years back and then people started wearing shoes, right? Those shoes got worn 
Mm -hmm. right? That's the problem. Okay. So someone said, I'm going to be a cobbler. I'm going to fix those Repair shoes. Repair shoes. Uh, yep. that's, that's my job. You know, I fix those problems. Yep. And it was very, very simple. There's a problem. I'll fix it. I get paid for it. Everyone's happy. Mm -hmm. We kind of lost track of that in a lot of businesses. We're looking for new business opportunities, but because the customer or the consumer doesn't always know what they need or what they want, you have to kind of try and find out their problems or the challenges in their everyday life and then find the problems in, to, to solve. Mm -hmm. and, and that is dif difficult for a lot of brands. The banks are struggling, you know, People don't want to go into to, to branches anymore. Why would we? We don't really want to interact with bank people. Um, so so it becomes, what is it that we're kind of racing to just kind of yeah. come up with tons and tons and tons of new ideas. And new ideas are great, but if you don't filter them, if you don't choose the ones that you believe in, you end up just having 15 new ideas that are mm. just confusing people and not solving the problems, but adding to the problems. Well, actually creating complexity for people. Yeah. For no reason whatsoever, mm. right? So but, but you can tick the box that says, oh, we've innovated because we've uh, engaged all these fintech startups to uh, solve all these problems that no one even knew they had. Well, that's what they do. They, they buy fintechs and they, they, they pretty much shut them down because, because they go, okay, that's a great idea. We're going to buy them and we're going to put them in and then, yeah, they don't really fit into our organization. So let's yeah. just kind of put them in the corner and see if they can come up with some new technology, but we're not going to use it for anything. So, so to go back to your first point around the whole digital transformation, I get why you uh, you hate the phrase digital transformation, because it's actually a total business transformation. Yeah. It just happens to have technology as the exactly. thing, right? I I I uh, am concerned, and I'm I'm wondering if you see the same thing that a lot of organisations go down this path of transforming themselves around technology because of the fear of digital disruption that mm -hmm. other term that was you know started to be bandied about about five years ago mm -hmm. with the examples of uber and amazon and alibaba and all of these companies were going to disrupt every category so the traditional legacy organizations have started to embrace this almost as a defense mechanism rather than a business driver I think you need to do both. I think you need to recognize that your com your industry is going to be disrupted, no matter what industry you're in. Mm -hmm. If you're in if you're in traditional shipping, it's being disrupted as we speak. You know, um, it's it's going to continue to disrupt. So um, if you're in if you're in um, wholesale goods, you know. It's being disrupted. Mm -hmm. Alibaba has definitely disrupted it, mm -hmm. and, and it continues to disrupt. So, so I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can dismiss it and say we're not going to worry about new competitors or, or new technologies or, or anything like that. I think you need to be very cognizant of, of what's going on. At the same time, you have something they don't have. You have built the business from 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 start, and if you're smart enough and if you're fast enough, you can actually be the disruptor of your uh, disruptor of your own industry. Mm. Uh, but that takes guts, and and especially in in, in this region, um, we do like money in our hand rather than money down the road. Mm. 
even though the money down the road is, is a bigger pile. Yeah, than the, the one bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Uh, exactly, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, 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 and that makes it very hard to kind of go, I'm going to disrupt my own business. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the other problem is, and I've seen this, you know, working with companies that have huge legacy infrastructure and the idea of having to write it off mm. to move forward is just an anathema. So what they end up doing is a strategy to sort of try and breathe life into a dying component because that's seen as more acceptable and calling it for what it is yeah. and transforming into a whole new business. Well, I think the banks, you know, you, your example before, if you've got branches everywhere full of people delivering, in quotes, customer service, the, to turn around and go, we actually don't need any of these people, no. is a huge headache. Oh, the person that makes that decision is going to be written up as the person that destroyed uh, the finance sector for employment. Uh, and maybe the opposite. The answer is the opposite. It could be, but, but the thing is that you have to look at this. Banks are a great example. They have uh, a lot of banks, because they've been operating for such a long time, they have legacy systems when it comes to IT as well. Mm. So digital transformation is often led by the IT guy. Um, which, uh, with no offense to IT people, is the absolute wrong way of, of looking mm. at it. Because again, it's not about the technology. So well, it's the car driving the horse, isn't e it? Exactly. Going from seven databases to, to, to five doesn't really change anything. If you really want to change something, you, you have to take the core problem and, and, and change that. You know, they've had the banks, and I, I don't mean to, I, I, I love the banks, and I think the banks have a great opportunity, but they have to seize the moment right now. Um, you look at technology, um, uh, tech companies like uh, TransferWise mm -hmm. have come in and disrupted um, international transfers. In the past, if I would transfer money from Singapore to Norway, which I do every once in a while, um, it would take three days. I would pay a fee uh, in Singapore. I would pay a fee in uh, Norway. Norway. Yeah. I would pay they would give me a bad... Uh, the worst possible exchange, exchange rate. Yeah. rate. Um, <laughs> and on top of that, they would keep the money for three days, which means that they're making interest money. Yeah, short-term money market. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they're making money four ways yeah. on that one single transfer. And then someone comes in and says, we're just going to disrupt that. We're going to make it, it's going to take eight hours. Um, and we're going to be very upfront with the... With it's the, a very fixed fee. It's a fixed fee. Exactly. Based on the size of the transaction. Right, exactly. And, 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 and the best, like Google uh, re reported rate on the day. Right, exactly. And that's the thing. It's like people are starting to wake up to the fact that there are other players out there. And that's going to be hard for the banks to manage mm. because they're going to be disrupted, not, in, not just in transfers, they're going to be disrupted in loans. In, in savings, in every single thing they do, there's going to be small players coming in and disrupting. Um, and, and the banks are, are, are finding it hard to, to juggle. That. Some banks are doing okay. Some banks are, are at the forefront of, of technology and, and have great uh, um, digital banking experiences. Now, I'm going to take you back because sure. you said uh, when we were talking about the army, you said yeah. uh, you jumped forward to right. being a copywriter right. because you actually went to, is it the Oslo Business School and you did a, um, a course around uh, marketing and, and business, didn't you? That's right. And I actually specialised in innovation as well, which is, uh, which is interesting because, you know, 20 years, 
30 years later, then it comes back to me and I'm yeah. finding that entrepreneurship uh, idea. Mm. But yeah, um, I did. I, um, I, was very, I was very much into IT or computers when I was a, as a kid. But by the time I, I was um, finished with the army, I was kind of fed up with it for a while. Um, and I did, really didn't know what to do. My, um, my brother went to Oslo Business School and my dad, um, he was, <laughs> he was uh, a businessman as well. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do that because, because I can learn something from it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that experience, you know, I never wanted to be a banker. I never wanted to be that shipping guy. I never wanted that kind of business, but I, I was always interested in, in how businesses are run and, and all of that. And I, I think it's given me an edge also as a copywriter, especially working on B2B clients. Mm. But um, yeah, so so I started as, a, as an account, uh, account person in, a, in an agency. But uh, you spent quite a lot of time with uh, McCann yeah, uh, in, in lots of different roles. I mean, creative roles, yeah. but um, you know, uh, a lot of the time seemed to be around B2B and, um, and direct marketing or... or, um, well, or uh, and digital. And, and I, digital I was, marketing. I was always quite specialised. Um, I was the guy, um, I think people saw me as the guy that they could put in the room with clients and I could talk to clients and I could mm. explain to clients and I could understand the clients' needs and, and all of that. So when it was when it came to more complex tasks, it kind of ended on my table. Mm-hmm. Um, when it came to more fun and creative tasks, it was other uh, writers and, and, and art directors that were better <laughs> than me. No, no, it, I, I had no issues with that. I built a great career. I did, uh, I won lots of awards. I, I've done all okay. of that. but. To me, it was more about solving that problem, seeing the broader picture, um, and that gave me some opportunities. McCann, I had a great relationship with McCann. Um, you know, I started there in Norway. I was there for six, seven years, um, and I always made it clear that I wanted to go overseas. Was one of the yeah, because you worked in you worked in China, uh, Australia. Well, first in Australia, I was three years in Australia. Then I came to Singapore. Yeah. Then I went back to Norway for for some family reasons. Then I went to China yeah. um, uh, for a kind of short time, um, and that's that was my last uh, last year at, the, at McCann. Um, and then I said, 15 years of, of doing this was enough. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it had been good to me. I think I'd been good to them, but it was time for me to to do something else. And, and this idea of, of when we started Acoustic, it was somewhere between agency and consultancy. Mm-hmm. And today, we've kind of dropped the whole agency yeah, part much and more just focused on consultancy. Which is where I see the similarities yeah. with Trinity P3 yeah. and Acoustic yeah. in that we're a consultancy focusing on marketing and the consumer, the customer, rather than the big wide world of management consulting. Well, who seem to be moving into this territory very rapidly. They do, and that's that's an interesting discussion in itself. I I really I'm not so sure about it. I'm not so sure it's a great move for them, but uh, but we'll see. Um, I find there's two things about the big consultancies that I position myself away from. Uh, one is that um, a report is not solving anything. Mm. So you can you can do your cookie cutter uh, reports approach, 
um, which which they do, and they build like 300 pages of, of reports, mm. and then the the, buy, the the customer can say, okay, we've well, got this report from this and this consultancy. They're very famous for what they do. You know, at least now we have that report. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't really changed your business. The other thing that oh look, um, I'm sure the 200 uh, slide PowerPoint presentation is going to radically change the business because you'll be able to use that to you know prop up uh, desk legs and all sorts of things. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, the other thing, and I, I think uh, a lot of consultancies do, and I'm not going to name any names or shame anyone here. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, some consultancies have something to sell outside of consultancy. They all have something and, to sell. And I find that, no, but like if you come to a company... And you no, a technology them, solution. They all have right, a technology exactly. solution. So, of course, they come in, they get paid a large amount of money to diagnose the problem or the opportunity or the... And the solution is always... Yeah. And the solution is X. Exactly. Whoever, and even worse, they're getting a commission on the selling that solution. And they get monthly retainer fees yeah. and all of that. It's a smart business model for them, but it's not a great idea. Well, I've been offered that business model. Right. And I, sh well, I, I say I turned it down with integrity, but uh, you know, as time goes on, I'm starting to think that maybe I should have sold integrity for the ongoing trailing well, commission. Because there's a lot of money in it. I, I agree, <laughs> and money is great. But Especially at my age. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, I feel you. But, um, no, I'd rather have my integrity. <laughs> but honestly, yeah, and I, I think it's one of the decisions we made with, with Acoustic was that we would never do that. We would, like, the one thing that advertising has gotten right is that when you produce a TV commercial, if mm. you still do, um, you go out and you get, you know, three quotes, you get three different directors, uh, you, you get some, some ideas, how is this going to pan out? And then you, you, you produce that. Um, and I think that's a great model for um, uh, consultancies as well, mm. to kind of go, okay, we're actually going to build something, but we're not going to have the resources to do the build itself. We're going to find the right people for that right build. Mm. Uh, and that doesn't come off the shelf. It's not labelled with with uh, That's right. you've IT got, You've got to be unencumbered to be able to make the right recommendation right. to suit the specific problem. I right. mean, exactly. every every solution uh, comes from defining the problem correctly yeah. or framing the problem the right way. You can't then frame the problem and go, oh, and by the way, here's the solution I prepared earlier. Right, okay, <laughs> I, 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 exactly. But the, the interesting thing is that no, it's, it's true. And the, the interesting thing that what we've found is that through working with different clients, there's always a f um, kind of a, a pile of ideas that are mm. great but never come to fruition because they're not right for that client. Um, I experienced it a lot in, in advertising, and I'm sure you did as well. Every time you went to a client, you presented like three ideas. One of them was great mm. but very bold. One of them was was uh, middle of the road and, and the client would buy that one and then you had one idea that what are you going to do about it and there was nothing you could do you could just mm. throw it in the pile look we've run out of time okay. but uh thank you oh. thanks for the time thank you uh, one last question sure. in that 15 years career is what's your favorite ad that you produced because you mentioned TV ads before, and I just wouldn't mind knowing what's your favourite. Okay, ad? so my favourite campaign of all times.